Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. When you want renters' rights. Then you got to enjoy the fight. The 28th of March marks the end of the eviction moratorium in Victoria. Thousands of Victorian renters will be at threat of eviction. The housing crisis is a choice made by the government. Andrews will deliberately make thousands of renters homeless. If he could stop evictions before, he can do it again. You've tuned into Radical Philosophy on 3CR Community Radio, 8.55 on your AM dial. And I'm going to be speaking with Professor Lorraine Talbot about capitalism. Welcome to the program. Hi, Beth. What was it that inspired your interest in capitalism? My So I suppose that my interest in capitalism goes quite a long way back, really, um, at pre, pre-university. It's, it always seemed to me a very perverse system, and it still seems to me a very perverse system. Um, and I think um, uh, Oscar Wilde's famous quote that does this conveys this quite nicely when he says that a cynic knows the price of everything but the value of nothing. Um, and if you substitute capitalism for, for cynic, you get a very good um, critique of, of capitalism and why it's, why it's something that, uh, that is problematic, because it seems to, um, at all areas of life, substitute price for um, value or for social value. So it pays and prices some things at a very high value and other things that have got huge social value very, very poorly. So um, in this current pandemic that we've been in, we know that there are, the society is incredibly reliant um, on the valuable work of nurses and care workers and um, frontline workers on shops and delivery services and all of these kind of things, utterly dependent on them. And yet we pay these people very, very low wages. Um, we don't value that. We don't value the valuable um, in, in capitalism. Instead, we'll give you know, huge pay to top executives who are moving money around, really aren't creating anything of value, sitting in boardrooms, um, making decisions that will make wealthy people wealthier. We value that in capitalism. We'll pay a, pay a high price for that. Um, and that seems to me... Um, incredibly perverse. I mean, why have we got at this stage in history um, a, a system which hasn't really worked out how we deliver things to people that they actually need and how we stop rewarding things that really aren't that important? Right. So could you tell us about the history of capitalism? So um, uh, history of capitalism, I think, would probably probably kill your viewers but um, uh, I I can probably give you a a bit of an overview of um, capitalism through the lens of companies so so um, uh, the history of companies under capitalism because that's my specialist area as it were Um, so certainly speaking from um, from the English perspective UK perspective 
um, capitalism in the UK, and it's said to have started in, in, um, in England, um, went on a certain trajectory throughout the 19th century, which wasn't really connected to companies at all. So um, most of the kind of manufacturing, um, all that industrial revolution happened under other business forms like, like partnerships and, and, and so on. Um, and um, we didn't really come to a situation until the end of the 19th century when um, most capitalism then fell under companies or was, was um, operated um, through companies. And one of the things that this tells us is that companies really came about because capitalism was failing. So it's at the end of the 19th century when we had the Great Depression and, and uh, things, you know, returns on capital are falling, um, profit is falling, that we see companies coming in. So the, there's two parallel histories of the sort of history of capitalism growing um, throughout the 19th century. And then there's a history of companies um, which are being developed in the 19th century, but they're not being used by industrial capitalists. So we have a whole series of um, legislation being passed in the 19th century to create the company form, but it's not being used by business, which is a sort of, which is a, a, a peculiarity. Um, so what we have in our history of companies in the 19th century is the history really of shareholders becoming increasingly irresponsible. Um, it's, it's about creating a form of business whereby um, uh, the what we sort of think of as owners become more and more irresponsible, less connected and more, more irresponsible. That's what really what's happening with the history of the companies. So even as far back as 1837, um, we have a, a case in which the, the court says categorically that shareholders don't own the business. They don't own the business. What they own is the profits that are created by that business. Um, so they just have a, a title to surplus that is created by the business. They can't go in and touch any of the assets of that business. They don't know it. So they're not, they don't own it. So they're not owners in the way that we would understand owners of, of being. And this um, really describes and became, became a sort of standard description and understanding of, of, um, of shareholders. They're not like entrepreneurs. They're not like entrepreneurial owners. They're actually much more like rentiers. They're interested in profit only. They put money in to get money out. And that's not a position of being responsible. That's not a responsible form of ownership. That is a mechanism for making money any way possible. It's sort of a form of gambling in some ways. Um, and then when we have um, legislation being passed to further develop the company in the form of, of limited liability, this isn't coming from, from business either. This is coming from finance. Finance wants, and Parliament wants, a way in which um, they can access the profit that's being created by, by manufacturing, by buying shares. So they want limited liability so that they can buy into these companies, but not have to be involved. They don't want to be involved, so they don't want to be exposed to any liability. So again, limited liability is about saying, we want the profit, 
but we don't want the responsibility. We don't want to be exposed to any liabilities. We want to be uh, we want to be protected. So it's a it's another form of um, creating irresponsibility in 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 capitalism that comes more and more um, with the development of the of the company form. And then, um, as I said, you get to the, the end of the 19th century when you're starting to see a lot of um, failure um, in business, profits are falling, we have the long depression. And it's then when businesses start getting together, um, forming companies, so a lot of partnerships will, will merge um, and form a company. And a lot of that is about simply price fixing and they have to um, uh, fix prices because prices are falling. Um, which is great for a consumer, obviously, but um, from the point of view of trying to make money from that, you, what you want those prices to be stabilized, to be to be fixed to some degree, to stop falling. Um, so the company form becomes this great way of fixing the economy, actually getting rid of competition um, and fixing it in some way, which is for the benefit of owners. So those those owners or shareholders then have the benefit of that of fixing the economy. They have the benefit of um, limited liability, and they're not involved in the day to day running of the business. So it's sort of like the completion of irresponsible or irresponsibility within within capitalism is is happening throughout the nineteenth century. Why is modern capitalism irresponsible? Why is modern capitalism irresponsible? Well, I suppose partly what I've said, you know, tells you that I think capitalism is irresponsible, that it, that, um, it is um, inherently irresponsible. It's, it's um, and the company form which become, which uh, in, encapsulates modern capitalism enables this irresponsibility um, at all times. So, um, you know, we can see probably the only time we, we see a shift in that is in the, the post-war period, the sort of golden age period where, um, where really companies, capitalists didn't have a choice about having to make some concessions to working people because working people had just paid the most atrocious cost in the Second World War and they weren't going to come out of that without getting something back. So we had a, a, a period of sharing the wealth of society to a degree um, and for, for, some, for some decades where you had the empowerment of labor unions, um, where you had a certain um, industrial harmony, a certain coordination between uh, government, labor um, and uh, shareholders and managers. Um, so then you could say, well, there was something like a sort of responsible capitalism. Um, but apart from that brief period, um, it's been nonstop irresponsible. But modern capitalism, if we say modern capitalism is post that golden age period, has, I think, entered a new stage of irresponsibility um, that um, we, can, we can see in, in, uh, in, all, in all sorts of ways. Um, so, I think one of the, um, the, the principal reason is that, that capitalism only does things to produce profit. It only does things, not because it's got social value, which we mentioned at the beginning, but because it has a value which will make money for somebody who's got money. 
So if something good happens in capitalism, it's either because you've got that pushback from labor or other groups that say, no, this is crazy, you know, stop destroying the environment, you know, stop exploiting people. Unless you get that pushback, responsible things don't happen. Um, uh, or alternatively, you know, you just might get a, a, an accidental coincidence of doing something progressive in, in the course of trying to seek, seek profits. But that's not why, that's not the drive for capitalism. The drive for capitalism is always profit. Um, and then en route, you know, good things might happen, but they're usually pushed by, by other people. And I call this the, the social taming of capitalism. There, there, there are um, lots of social tamers, sort of warriors in different areas of life that say, you know, this thing that happens in society is not acceptable and we're going to push back against that. And that's when you see enough people doing that, then you get, you know, a, a change. But if I can just, um, and we can talk about this in more detail, but if I can just sort of specify the areas that are sort of post-70s, it create this huge irresponsibility. Um, there's things like the deregulation of finance and the deregulation of finance in, uh, from the sort of end of the 70s into the 80s really fueled the hostile takeovers that were just really starting to take home in the in, take hold in the 50s. In the 1950s, we saw a few hostile takeovers, that is takeovers that management don't want. Um, then suddenly there was all this money and um, uh, investors realized that they could make a whole lot of instant cash by taking over companies, asset stripping, merging, you know, doing all sorts of things that were not, that were not related to producing things of social value, um, but everything to do with making a, 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 a vast amount of money very, very quickly. Um, we, um, we saw um, managers more and more taking advantage of globalization by outsourcing work um, to very low paid um, countries with very little protective regulation and taking advantage um, of, uh, of that. Um, we saw, we've seen the rise of performance related pay, which I mentioned at the beginning with um, direct, the huge remuneration that people, that, uh, that directors get. Um, so things like performance-related pay have meant that directors are tied to making shares as valuable as possible in the interest of shareholders, and that means that they will do all sorts of things which are usually very far removed from being innovative, creating social value, even protecting the company sometimes, just to keep share price up, just to keep delivering this high remuneration. And so we've seen remuneration particularly through the 90s and, and uh, through, uh, in the last 20 years, just shoot through the roof um, because returns for shareholders are shooting through the, through, through the roof. And we've also seen that the regulation that we have to, to try and manage this is almost completely useless. It's very, it's very soft law, it's very loose regulations, um, non-executive directors, which are a big feature of modern regulations, are you know pretty useless you know they might have um, specialist skills in, in which is useful but uh, most of the studies show that in fact what they tend to do is 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 push up remunerations because you know no one wants to be left with less remuneration than other companies but spreads information they tend to be to identify sort of culturally with with executives and not really that independent so the whole process is that we have to 
to deal with these excesses are, are incredibly useless. Um, and of course, we've had very low interest rates, which means that companies have borrowed huge sums um, in order to fund various financialized ways of pre-keeping shares at a very high level. Um, and this has meant that we've got very indebted companies, even more so post-COVID, uh, post we're not even post-COVID yet, are we? So we've got, you know, debt is a, was an incredibly bad thing, and now it's an incredibly, hugely bad thing. Um, and so, you know, we've got companies that are either effectively zombie companies or companies that just are not going to risk the kind of investment that we need for the kind of innovations that we need to solve all sorts of problems we have at the level of, of, of society. So irresponsibility, and honestly, I could talk about that for hours, <laughs> is, is um, A, inherent in capitalism, B, inherent in corporate capitalism, and C, super apparent in modern corporate capitalism. Could you explain about community interest companies? Yeah, community interest companies are sort of, um, uh, th there is a lot of scholars in my area and uh, policymakers in my general area who are quite enthusiastic about things like community interest companies, um, cooperatives, mutual societies, i.e. alternative business forms um, that seem to offer something alternative and different to the, to the company so they can get you know, say, see, this is this is the way forward. This is how perhaps you make responsible capitalism by having these these different um, business forms. Community interest companies is one of those, and you can see the rationale behind it because it does things like um, have an asset um, lock, so you you can't asset strip these these companies in the same way as you can for the, of, a, of a regular company, which of course has been problematic. Um, if it's a company that's, because they don't have to, and often they don't have shareholders, but if it's one that's formed with shareholders, um, then the um, dividend is capped. Um, so this obviously changes, or in principle changes the incentives um, for the company. You're not doing things that just deliver shareholder value. You may be doing things that provide value for the community. And also community interests have to have a community interest. Um, so they, they, it's, it is set up for a community-based activity um, and there's a regulator that oversees that. So, so you know, it has to be judged by what the reasonable person would think a community interest activity is. Um, so it's a, it's a form that companies can, can take, whether it's, is it, uh, whether you're a private company or, or public company or limited by shares or guarantee, um, whatever size you can take that, but it creates certain um, limitations on what you can do with the finance, um, what your purpose is, um, and all that is designed around creating a business form that may in principle do something which is um, uh, more um, uh, community orientated. As you can imagine, um, large companies, um, uh, those on the FTSE 100, have not leapt to the community interest company form. Um, this does not uh, does not suit your your average um, profit maximizing company. 
to what could the government do to make capitalism responsible? Oh, well, um, I suppose um, address some of the things that, that I've mentioned as, as giving rise to this huge irresponsibility. The most controversial um, of those, and therefore my favourite, um, is the um, removal of shareholders' voting powers. Yeah, and I and I really it's not I'm not the first person to have advocated this. In fact, this was this was advocated um, by many scholars in the 1930s. But um, it's still fairly out there in terms of um, the kind of reforms that I think are 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 needed. People don't like the idea of removing shareholder voting powers because they say, well, you know, shareholders are owners. Surely they should have um, voting powers. Um, but what has happened, well, what happened throughout the 19th century and certainly what, what's happened now is that the development of the company form has meant, in fact, that shareholders have become more and more detached from the company um, itself. Um, and all they are really are individuals that have a financial interest in the company that is subject to more or less risk. And everyone that has a financial interest in the company is subject to more or less risk. So, so the, um, the reason why shareholders are seen as so distinct from, say, creditors is not really um, very justifiable um, given, uh, given that uh, development. So, you know, we, we think of the company as being separate, having a separate legal um, personality, and that um, separation is only really possible when you have um, shareholders being you know, very outside, but they're not part of them, they don't compose the, uh, the organization in the way that a, a partnership um, might. So all sorts of things has happened to remove shareholders from um, being involved in the company, being responsible for the, for the company. And maybe they should stay, you know, but if I've got shares in a company, should I really have unlimited liability? I don't have anything to do with it. I can't really do anything about, you know, changing the direction of the company. So maybe I should keep my limited liability. But if you're going to keep something like limited liability on the basis that you're not involved, why should you be responsible? It's just a financial investment. Why then? should you retain all those control rights that shareholders um, can, uh, uh, retain. So um, I think this is just the continuation of separate corporate personality. If the company is separate, it's truly separate, fine. Keep it separate, that's fine. Protect everyone else involved in it, that's fine. But don't give a, one group of people control rights over that entity. They, that should no longer exist. And if you remove those control rights, um, you could remove all sorts of things that currently push um, companies into being more and more irresponsible as they have a greater and greater drive to produce more shareholder value and more, and more profit and less incentive to innovate, to take risks, um, to do the kind of things that we, we might want um, uh, companies to do or, or the productive part of our society to, uh, to do. So, you know, I would also remove shareholder decision making and takeovers. So most of um, most takeover regulations um, give shareholders the right to, to veto any actions that uh, managers take to thwart a hostile takeover. I'd remove that. I'd remove performance related pay. Um, 
because I think that just encourages incredibly bad behavior. That um, the, the, the things that I'm saying we should remove currently uh, or for, for many years um, have been seen in terms of change. So um, there's been a shift from share options being the only way of rewarding um, uh, executives to this idea that, well, perhaps we should have longer term incentives. Well, they're all still connected to share value. So there's, there's this sort of nuancing to try and create more responsibility and more long termism. But it all goes back to the same thing, which is which is um, is share value. And that is um, that is the, the root of the, the problem um, uh, for, um, uh, for, for companies. So radical reforms in terms of shareholder control, radical reforms in terms of executive pay and hostile takeovers, um, and more um, democracy, more employee representation, more engagement by all those people that are actually affected by corporate activities and not just one small section um, of society. Yeah, no, they're, they're really good points. Well, thanks very much for coming onto the program today. You're welcome. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. And I've been speaking with Professor Lorraine Talbot about capitalism. That's all we have time for today. Hope you've enjoyed the program and do stay tuned for Swing and Sway. Thank you.